And if you're just joining us, we are journeying through the book of 1 Peter verse by verse. We believe that, that all scripture is God-breathed, that this is the breath of God on us. And every time we open the word, man, he's breathing life into us. He's breathing encouragement into us. He's breathing sometimes correction into us, but, but he's speaking. And so we want to let the word of God speak this morning. And so we assigned you some reading this past week, 1 Peter uh, chapter Three, starting in verse eight through second, or First uh, Peter chapter four, verse six. We're going to journey through that passage together this morning. We are in a series called "Where We Fit in the Story of God." Look at somebody and say, "You fit this morning." Look at somebody else and say, "Hey, I fit this morning." We, we fit in the story of God. In other words, God didn't just save us for our own sakes, although praise God he did. But he saved us and brought us into his story. And gave us an invitation, a role to play in telling his story to the world. Both audibly with our words and then visibly with our lives. If you're just joining us, this book of 1 Peter was written by the, the famous apostle, the famous disciple of Jesus named Peter. Peter wasn't his original name. His original name was, name was Simon, but Jesus changed his name to Peter. He said, on this rock of your faith, this declaration that Peter made that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he said, on that declaration, I'm going to build my church. So what we are doing today is a descendant 2,000 years later of Peter's declaration 2,000 years ago. We are built on that foundation. And so Peter would go on to, to minister in the very lost, very dark city of Rome, very evil, sadistic city of Rome. God took him to Rome and, and caused him to be a pastor there. And as he's ministering in Rome, God leads him through his Holy Spirit to write this letter, this epistle, to a group of believers in what is now modern-day Turkey. So he sent this letter east from where he was uh, to, to Asia Minor, to this area of modern-day Turkey, to the believers there who are living in a, in, in a world that doesn't love Jesus. They're living in a pagan world. They're living in a world in which we don't know exactly the timeline. We talked about last week. This book was probably written sometime between A.D. 59 and A.D. 64. Because in A.D. 65, Peter is actually executed, put to death by the Roman government for telling people about Jesus. And between here and then, he has to write a whole other letter. There's a book called Second Peter. Uh, so we know he didn't just write this the day before he passed, right? There was at least some time that passed from the time that Peter wrote this first letter and the time that his life was taken from him. But Peter's was, life wasn't taken as, a, as an anomaly. He wasn't just kind of an outlier. His life was taken as part of a great persecution against the church of Jesus Christ that arose in the Roman Empire where this very evil, very sadistic, I would say demonic emperor Nero uh, tried to blame the Christians for the burning of the city of Rome. And as he pinned them as, as the perpetrators of the city being burnt, man, they, they start murdering Christians right and left, martyring people right and left. Up until this point, Christianity was kind of ignored in the Roman Empire. It was kind of tolerated. Romans were polytheistic. They believed in many gods, so it really didn't matter that there was this new faith that emerged within the empire that worshipped this specific god. You can worship whoever you want. 
Uh, but now the empire turns its attention on Christians in the same way that the Jews had persecuted Christians in Jerusalem about 30 years before, which caused them to scatter from Jerusalem out into the empire. Now the empire turns their attention on believers as well. And God in his sovereignty, in his love, in his mercy, he warns his people through Peter in this letter, hey, there's some hard times coming. There's some suffering coming, but I need you to keep this perspective that your suffering here on earth is just for a little while. That what you go through here may may be difficult and it may be dark and it may be hard, but there's something far greater coming for you. And so he sends this letter to these people who are about to go through some very difficult seasons. Last week we saw Peter's very hard to accept for our flesh writings on submission to authority. Even honoring the emperor, this demonic emperor, this evil emperor, this horrid emperor. He says, no matter what kind of authority you're under, man, God's calling you to honor that authority, to submit to that authority. That's a a message that runs contrary to our flesh. It's not easy for us to accept. Today, we're going to see him apply some of those same concepts in a different way, not talking about authority. So I titled my message today, Where We Fit in the Story of God, Part 4, Hopeful Lives in Hopeless Circumstances. Hopeful Lives in Hopeless Circumstances, or alternate title, I had two that I went back and forth on. I said, I'm just going to keep them both, right? Or we could call it Holy Lives in a Hostile World. Hopeless lives and hopeless circumstances, holy lives in a hostile world, whichever you prefer, you can go with that. You don't have to write them both down. You can choose. Uh, Choose your own adventure today at City Church, right? Uh, But we're going to dive into God's word starting in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter says, finally. Now, if you know anything about 1 Peter, we're in chapter 3. This goes through five chapters. Peter's already learning the things that pastors have learned today, right? We're going to say, finally, we got 20 minutes left in the message. I got one last point for you. I got one last thing to say, right? Peter's a a preacher at heart. And so he says, finally, spoiler alert, it's not finally. He got a lot more to say. But, But he thinks he's getting to the end. He thinks he's starting to wrap up. He says, finally, all of you, everybody say, that's me. He says, I want you to be like minded, be sympathetic. Love one another, be compassionate, and humble. If we were to isogeet this verse, just pull this verse out of the context of everything that Peter is saying, this is one of those, man, this is a life verse. This is, man, you, you put this on your Facebook page, you tattoo this on your arm, right? Like, this is a verse to stand up. I mean, this is encouraging all of you. Let's be like-minded. Let's be sympathetic. Let's love one another. Let's be compassionate. Let's be humble. These are all great things but, but, but a lot of times we overlook the context of what he's saying. This thing. He's saying in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your challenges, when things aren't going the way you want them to, when life isn't flowing the way you expected, even in those times, right? Even when, when, when it seems so justifiable to lash out, when it seems so justifiable to, to, to react in the flesh, He says, even then, here's what God is asking of you. He says, I want you to do these things. Verse 9, he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. 
Peter calls the followers of Jesus to do exactly what Jesus called the followers of Jesus to do. He says, I want you to live life upside down. You live in a world where you return evil with evil. Right? You, you have a flesh that says, hey, when somebody comes at you, I'm going to come back at them. Right? Like that's the normal default natural mode. But he says for followers of Jesus, there's a different call. There's a different purpose. There's a different way. He says, I want you to return evil with blessing. That's not easy for us to accept. And it's harder for us to do right? How is this even possible? It's not possible in the natural. It's only possible because God says, I'm going to place my Holy Spirit in you to empower you to live this out. If you try to do this on your own, you will fail and you will fail spectacularly. But God never calls us to a standard. He doesn't empower us to be able to live up to. If he asks us to return evil with blessing, he's going to make a way for us to do it. That means we have the option. That means it's a choice for us no matter how life comes at us, no matter who comes at us sideways, no matter how stupid that idiot is on the highway, right? Like we have the option to respond like Christ or to respond like us. Notice what he says. He says, repay evil with blessing because if you do, he said, to this you were called. What am I called to do? Man, what, what, what is the call on my life? What is the purpose for my life? Well, this is part of it. You're a believer. To this you were called. You were called to repay evil with blessing. So was I. He says, well, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You've probably heard this phrase before, I'm blessed to be a blessing. You ever heard that? We're blessed to be a blessing. This principle is, is found very early in Scripture. God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and because I bless you, all nations will be blessed through you. We see this time and time and time again, that God blesses us in order for us to be a blessing. Now, Peter says, I want you to be a blessing, and if you'll be a blessing, you can be blessed. So let's put it all together. Let's write this down if you're taking notes today. I'm blessed when I bless because I'm blessed. That's a little wordy. Let's break it down. I'm blessed when I bless because I'm blessed. In other words, we're starting from a place of blessing. Okay, you've already been blessed. We're just saying, I'm already loved. I'm already chosen, right? I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. You're already blessed. That's got to be our, our fixed place of identity. I'm blessed. So because I'm blessed, I get to bless. And when I bless, I get more blessed. It's this blessing cycle. I'm already blessed, and because I'm blessed, I can bless others. And because I bless others, now there's more blessing coming my way. Now, here's the thing about this. When the blessing is in the midst of suffering, it takes a little bit of extra faith for us to bless somebody who's hurting us, bless somebody who's persecuting us. Man, let's be real. It takes a little extra faith sometimes for us to bless somebody who's just annoying us, Right? Like, we're, we're not good at this. This doesn't come easy or natural to us. He says, I want you to repay evil with blessing. Some of us, we just got to start at repaying annoyance with blessing. Right? Like, let's, let's just start there, and we'll take this journey towards where God's calling us. Because we're just, we're good at blessing people who bless us. 
Hey, if you love me, I'm going to love you back. You encourage me, I'll encourage you back. You treat me with respect, I'll treat you with respect. You honor me, I'll honor you. We respond. What is that? That's called law. That's the Old Testament. What's the Old Testament say? The Old Testament says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We like that. That feels like justice. That, that, that feels right to us. We can respond like for like, but now Jesus comes along and he says, look, the Old Testament, I came to fulfill it. I fulfilled the law. Now I got a new covenant for you. Hey, praise God for the new covenant. I don't have to make sacrifices anymore. Praise God for the new covenant. There's so much greater blessing that I have than they have, but even with all that, there's higher responsibility. There's a higher calling on New Testament believers, and part of that calling is to even repay evil with blessing. I don't know who's evil to you in your life. The neighbors, coworkers, bosses, customers, family members, people we go to church with, or people we used to go to church with, right? Like, we may have these people in our world that we can look at and, man, we've legitimately been mistreated. We've legitimately been wronged. And if you do, Peter says, this is a chance for you to bless them so that you can be more blessed. You can, you can respond the way that people normally respond. There's no blessing in that. Or you can respond the Jesus way. You can respond the Christ follower way. And you can bless when people are evil to you. And there's a great blessing for you if you do. I'm blessed when I bless because I'm blessed. Amen? Amen. He goes on to quote Psalm 34. Remember Peter time and time again quotes the Old Testament. He says, for whoever would love life and see good days. Anybody want to love life and see good days? Everybody say, that's me. Sign me up for this, right? Must keep their tongue from evil. Keep their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. A lot of us, we want peace to come to us. God, give me peace, right? And, and, and I think that's a good prayer, and I think he will. But part of the process isn't just God giving me peace. Part of it is I'm called to seek peace. I'm called to pursue peace. You know what pursue is? It's work, right? Man, that requires something from me. That requires some intention, some effort. I'm going to pursue this thing. I'm not just going to ask God to give it to me. I'm going to choose to walk in it. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Praise God, his ears are attentive to your prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter illustrates the point he's trying to make with the Old Testament. He says, look, even though the Old Testament may have had some old standards, he's writing primarily to, to, to Jews, not exclusively to Jews, but, but he's writing this using these Old Testament quotations because he knows he's got a largely Jewish audience. So he says, look, the Old Testament is, is there, and yes, it does say eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but even then there were hints, there were, there were fragments, there was, there was this picture that was being painted that God had a call for his people that stood out from the way the rest of the world, the way human nature, the way the flesh chooses to operate. Verse 13, he says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? I love that word, eager. Man, my, my, my kids got invited to a friend's house yesterday to go swimming, and they were eager 
to go. When they found out they were going to get to go swimming, right, like there was nothing they could talk about, nothing they could think about. They were like changing clothes. They were ready to go. They were frustrated because they couldn't find their towel. Like everything had to be just right for them to go swimming. There was an eagerness and anticipation and excitement. What if God's people became eager to do good? What if we just got excited? Hey, I got an opportunity to do some good today. I got an opportunity to bless somebody at work today. I got an opportunity to repay some evil with some good today. What if God's people got eager to walk in the things of God? He says, but even if, verse 14, if you should suffer. Does it say you will? Right? I don't know that you're going to suffer for doing right. We live in a generation, in a country where we got a lot of freedom, where, where, where the the truth is is much more respected than what Peter was writing in. It's not flawless by any means. There's some challenges coming. I think there is suffering certainly coming in the next generation or two that we haven't experienced in our lifetimes and generations. But even in that, it's, it's, it's not what they're writing about. He says, if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. In other words, my blessing is not determined by my circumstances, right? Just because someone's mistreating me, just because I'm walking through suffering, that doesn't invalidate the fact that God has called me blessed. And if God has called me blessed, then I am blessed. And whatever you bring at me can't void that, can't cancel it, can't change it. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Let me say, I am blessed. Man, speak it over your life. Receive it. It's a mindset. It's a, it's a new way of thinking. It's putting on the word of God and renewing our mind. God, I am blessed. He says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. What can they do to you? The worst thing they can do is take your life, and you already saw Jesus come and rise from the dead. He already defeated death. So you got nothing to worry about. Verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Reverence him. Honor him in your heart. Look up to him. Turn to him. Then he says this, one of my favorite statements in Scripture. He says, always be prepared. Somebody say always. Always be prepared what? To give an answer To everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to do what? To give an answer to everyone who does what? Who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. What's Peter saying? He's saying don't get ready. Stay ready. Don't get ready. He said, I need you to stay ready. I need you to be ready instant, in season and out of season. In any moment, at any time, when someone comes with a question, why why are you different? Why can you have joy when people are coming at you like this? How, How can you have hope when life seems so hopeless? When the whole empire has turned against you, how is it that you can smile in the midst of it and you can actually say it's okay, I forgive you, that doesn't make sense and it doesn't register to me, I need you to tell me what's going on. He says, always be prepared, don't you get ready, I need you to stay ready. Stay ready, stay ready. There's an implication here 
that the hope that you have should be so clear and so evident in your life that people can't help but ask. Go, go back to verse 15. I want you to see a word in here. He says, I want you to be always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason. In other words, he's going to say hypothetically someone. Man, one day somebody might ask you. You need to be ready to respond. He's expecting there's going to be a whole lot of people asking God's people what's up. Right? That our lives stand out so much that they transcend to such a degree that there's a stream of people that it's going to be good days that they're coming to you. It's going to be bad days that they're coming to you that you just got to stay ready because in every opportunity people are coming and asking us, what is going on with you? He says, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have to everyone who asks. He says, but do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, when, when conversations come up, when we have an opportunity to be salt and light, when we have a chance to stand out in the world and tell people about Jesus, it's not just about what we say, it's about how we say it. That I can invalidate the message by the way that I deliver the message. I can be prideful. I can be haughty. I, I, I can treat them like, like they're dumb, like they should have already figured this out. Well, you've heard about Jesus, right? That, that you, you, you're living this way or choosing this lifestyle or voting this way or choosing these politics. Man, Christians can be very condescending. And Peter says, No. When you're interacting with people who see things differently, I want you to be ready with an answer, but I want you to deliver it with gentleness and with respect. What is that? It's the upside-down life, right? We don't respond to people's criticisms with anger. We don't respond by, 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 by choosing to, to weaponize our words against them. By living this holier-than-thou message that we've got it figured out, then they don't. Like, man, but by the grace of God, I would be lost too. I was lost, but by his grace, I am found. And because of it, I have hope of resurrection. I have hope of new life. I have hope that no matter what the emperor does to me, no matter what the empire does to me, no matter what society does to me, I have something greater. This suffering can only last for a moment, but I've got something to look forward to for eternity. Always be prepared to give an answer with gentleness and respect. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Verse 17, he says, For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter says you got a choice. You can suffer for doing the right thing or you can suffer for doing the wrong thing. Praise God. Suffering is going to come, right? That's not, not like the most exciting piece of today's message. That wasn't the part that I like woke up today. I get to tell God's people they're going to suffer. Hallelujah. Like, but it is a reality. See, we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a messed up world. And everybody is going to suffer. The choice we have is why we're going to suffer for. He says, you can choose to suffer for doing bad, or you can choose to suffer for doing right. He says, it is so much better to suffer for doing the right thing. Suffering is going to come. One way or the other, let's choose to suffer for doing what's right.
There's an implication here. Peter doesn't come out and say it, but it's implied, I believe, in the text. Not only is it better to suffer for doing right than it is to suffer for doing wrong, I believe it's actually better to suffer for doing right than to be blessed for doing wrong. So often that's the, the way the enemy paints the decision, right? Well, if I just lie on my taxes, I'm going to get a little bit more money back, and nobody's going to know. Now they got 83,000 new IRS agents, maybe they will. Um, but, right, like, like we, we, we can justify it, like, hey, I'm going to have more money. I'm going to have a better situation, right? Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's, you know, kids' classic situation with the parents. Do you fess up for the thing that you did, or, or do you lie about it and hope you don't get caught, right? We have so many decisions where we can choose suffering for the right thing or what it looks like blessing for the wrong thing. And the reality is it's always better to choose what's right. It's always better to choose that immediate suffering, that temporary suffering over the greater pain and suffering that sin is going to bring into my life. We're going to suffer. It's okay. God's going to see us through it. He's going to suffer with us. He came and suffered for us, and he's going to be with us. He's never leaving us nor forsaking us. Verse 18, moving forward. For Christ also suffered. Once for sins. The righteous suffered for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Christ also suffered, not just us. We are simply following his example. He suffered for us. But notice what he says. It says the righteous for the unrighteous. In other words, even though sometimes I might suffer for doing good, ultimately there is suffering that I deserve because of my own unrighteousness. Right? Like, I've blown it. I've screwed up. I've, I've messed up in many ways. And so even though sometimes I suffer immediately for those things, sometimes we suffer later on for those things, ultimately I, I've earned suffering. But he says, you've got a Savior who didn't earn the suffering. You've got a Savior who came, lived a flawless life, a perfect life. But he loved you so much, he suffered for you. You think you're better than Jesus? You think he can suffer and you're not going to suffer? You're not going to suffer to the degree that he did. But we're going to share in his suffering a little bit. And that's okay. There's no shame in that. It's nothing to hate. It's a temporary suffering. By the way, Jesus isn't suffering today. His suffering is over. It said he suffered once. Right? He suffered greatly. But it's done. The price is paid. He is not suffering anymore. And in the same way, our suffering will end and we will not suffer again. Praise God. Verse 19, now we're going to get into some, lack of a better word, some weird stuff. Follow along with me. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Verse 21, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 22, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. What is Peter talking about? So there's, there's some controversy in this text. So let, let's go back to verse 18 very quickly just to hit the, the difficult portion. Go ahead and put verse 18 up there for us, please. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sin. Excuse me, go to, go to 19. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. So there's two theories here. Uh, one theory, which most Bible scholars 
lean to is that Jesus actually, when he descended into hell, took the keys to, to sin and death, he actually appeared before those who'd already been condemned to hell and, and preached to them, preached the gospel, shared the truth of who he was. Now, there's a second theory that this is, is actually uh, translated poorly, and what's actually being said is that those who were imprisoned had already been preached to, that it wasn't Jesus who did this, uh, but that they had heard the truth while they were on, on earth. Um, I lean more towards the more popular translation that Jesus did actually speak to those who were in hell. Um, I'm not super confident on that. This isn't one that I'm like building theology and doctrine around. Honestly, I don't think it really makes a huge difference. It's just one of those like fun things to argue about in Christianese trivia, right? Like, did Jesus actually go to hell and, and preach to the people there? Uh, the reality is whether he did or whether he didn't, that was a one-time thing. If he did, this isn't something he's doing now, right? Because if he did, he did it because they had not had the chance to hear about Jesus, and so he went to them to, to give them Jesus. Now he's entrusted the church. It's our responsibility to make sure the world hears. Where do we fit in the story of God? We proclaim the gospel. We share the truth with the world of who Jesus is so that they can hear. It's our job. It's our responsibility. It's why we've been brought in. It's been called, why we're called to speak. It's why we're called to go. It's why we're called to send. It's why we're called to give. It's why we're called to serve. All those things so that people can hear about Jesus. So did Jesus go to hell and preach to imprisoned spirits? Probably. Uh, there's not just a ton of other biblical evidence to, to say one way or the other. The, the language that's used is a little bit unclear in the Greek to our modern translations. So I don't know. I, I wouldn't ever actually just even bring that into a message today because it's not something that I'm confident about. But this is why we go verse by verse sometimes. So we can hit those uncomfortable passages, those passages that may not always be clear. Uh, and have the chance to discuss them. But let's go back to verse 21. Um, he, or verse 20, he refers to, to Noah and the ark, right? He says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water of the ark symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. So he says, Noah... Yes, it happened. Yes, there, there, there was a, a physical thing that went down where, where the God judged the earth for its wickedness, for its rebellion, for its unrighteousness. And he chose this one righteous man, Noah, who he and his family built this ark. It's been 120 years telling people, hey, judgment is coming. Nobody listened. Uh, and they got in the ark, and these eight people were spared, and all of us are now descended from them. That happened, but it also happened to symbolically represent what God was going to do in baptizing us. Now, it says that you are saved through baptism. When it says you're saved through baptism, it doesn't actually mean going into the water and coming out of the water. It's the, the thing that baptism symbolizes. Baptism is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. That when you come to Jesus, you are brought into Jesus. You are now part of the body of Christ. You are immersed in Christ. You're dead with him, buried with him, resurrected with him. And so you are saved through that. This morning I had family ask me, we can get a baptism set up because I got a couple people in the family who are ready to get baptized. So if you need to get baptized, we're going to have a baptism very soon. I'll have a date for you. We're going to get it on the calendar, get it, get it set up. Uh, but if you haven't yet done that symbol, it's an important symbol. 
Why? Because for you it declares to the world that I follow Jesus, but to the rest of the world it declares Jesus died and he rose again and he saved me. And in the same way he's done it for me, it's a, it's a declaration of the gospel embedded into the very act of baptism. It's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. It's an awesome thing. All right. First Peter chapter 4. we got six verses left. got like ten minutes to get through these six verses. Let's go. Verse 1. Therefore. Once again, when you sign, we see the word therefore. What is it there for? Well, because of what Jesus has done for us, because he has died, because he has risen again, which is symbolized through baptism, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. That, that actually suffering brings, brings a purification to us. It actually brings the sin out of us. It causes us to, to let go of the things of this world and cling more tightly to the things of God. So if you're going through some suffering right now, it doesn't mean God's causing that suffering in your life. But if you're going through suffering, understand that God's trying to use it to bring you a little closer into his kingdom. Man, anytime I pray with somebody through just about any situation they bring to me, man, I just God, use this thing to bring them closer to you than they've ever been. Sometimes I pray it in faith. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a, a person who comes to the church asking for help. We had a couple people come this week asking for some help, and we had some policies in place where, man, we, we, we step in and we help people. We had one, one individual who needed their light, lights to stay on. Uh, had another individual who, who's pregnant, about to have a baby, and, and needs some help with, with diapers, with wipes, with those kind of things. If anybody wants to, to be able to help out with that, let me know, and I'll explain kind of the, the opportunity that we have with that individual. Um, we try to step in and help out, but I always ask, hey, can I pray? Is it okay if I pray with you? And up to this point, nobody's ever told me no. I know at some point somebody's going to tell me no, and I, I don't know how I'm going to respond to that. I'll give you an update. Uh, but, but praise God, so far, <laughs> it's always been a yes. So, so I always pray, because I don't always know, do these people even know Jesus? Right? Where are they at? If I ask them, they're going to say yes, because they're asking for money, and they're not going to tell me something I don't want to hear. Uh, so, so that doesn't always answer the question, right? Um, but I always pray, God, wherever they're at with you, use this to draw them closer to you than they've ever been. Because that's my prayer. That's my heart for anybody. I believe that's God's heart. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your difficulties, you can, this, this thing, the enemy wants to use it to drive you further from me, but I'm calling you even closer. Lean in. Trust in me in this. Lean on me for peace, and I will provide. Since Christ suffered in his body, it says, arm yourselves what? I mean, we, we got some Christian warriors, some people that are ready for battle. Arm yourselves with the same attitude as Jesus. So we're supposed to arm ourselves with, man, that we're going to repay evil with good. Verse 2, he says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires. This is those who suffer and choose to allow that suffering to bring them closer to Jesus. But rather for the will of God. What a picture. What a vision for your life. That as a result of your suffering, you would not live the rest of your earthly life, however long that is, none of us knows. However much time we have left here, I wouldn't leave it for evil human desires, but I would live it for the will of God. Verse 3, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. How many can say, I spent enough time doing evil? I spent enough time in sin. I spent enough time not living for Jesus. However much time you spent not living for Jesus, it was enough. Right? 
We don't need to look back and be like, man, I, I wish I'd have waited until after college. Uh, could have just sowed my wild oats a little bit more. Sometimes people have these silly ideas that, man, I'm, I'm going to give my life to Jesus later on down the road, but I'm going to enjoy life right now. And you know what that does? It just brings pain. It just brings more suffering. You go through stuff you don't need to go through. Man, choose Jesus today. Give him your life today. You've already spent enough time living in the world. You've already spent enough time experiencing the pain and the hopelessness of not knowing Jesus. Don't give it any more time. He said, you spent enough time in the past. Praise God, it's in the past. It's not who we are anymore. You spent enough time in the past living and doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. It's just another list of, of these big sins, right? You spend enough time living that way. Verse 4, he says, they are surprised, they being the lost, they being the pagans, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And because you don't choose to join them and live the way that they do, they heap abuse on you. You ever been, had some heat, some abuse heaped on you? Because you were the one person in the office who didn't partake in that. You were the one person who didn't laugh at that joke. You were the one person, man, when, when I worked at Taco Bell, I worked at Taco Bell for four years in high school and in college, uh, I was the only person who didn't smoke cigarettes. And I don't think smoking cigarettes sends you to hell. I don't think it's like the worst thing in the world. Um, but, but it was something that I knew I didn't want to partake in. My brother and sister smoked as long as I could remember. They were smoking by the time I was born. My older brother and sister, they're significantly older. Uh, they weren't like smoking at four years old. Don't freak out. Uh, but... <laughs> I saw that, and, and thankfully, God kept me from that because I know I have an addictive personality, and if I'd ever smoked a cigarette, I'd probably be preaching with a cigarette in my mouth. I don't know. Probably wouldn't be preaching. Uh, but probably wouldn't be a good look, right? Um, but I remember, man, literally everybody at Taco Bell smoked. And so we'd get these big rushes that would come in for an hour, two hours, and we'd be rushed. And as soon as the rush ended, everybody went outside to smoke a cigarette. So you know what I did? I went outside to secondhand smoke some cigarettes. Uh, I was like, I ain't letting everybody else get a break, and I'm sitting here by myself. Probably wasn't the healthiest choice I ever made, okay? Uh, I got offered a cigarette a million times. I mean, you want a Newport? You, you want a menthol? You want a Marlboro? I got offered a whole lot of cigarettes, but eventually they learned Troy wasn't taking that cigarette, but I was getting my cigarette break, okay? Uh, I don't know if that's godly. I don't know if that was the right, but that's what I did, okay? Uh, so I got a bunch of cigarette breaks. Uh, people are surprised sometimes when you don't participate in the things that they're doing. They might even heap abuse on you. But here's what I've found. If you'll stand your ground, eventually they're going to get the point. They're going to get the hint. And they're going to back up. In fact, eventually they're going to respect you for the fact that you don't participate in all the stuff they participate in. They're going to test you because they lived through, they've seen a whole lot of Christians who do give in. They've seen a whole lot of Christians who say one thing and do another, and so they're going to expect that you're going to be just like all of them. But I've had many people come to me, especially in that season of life, who said, man, I, I've never known a Christian who actually tried to live the life that you're actually living. Man, I've I got a lot of respect for it. Even had people say, man, I wish I could be like you, in which case, man, you can. It ain't me. It's the Holy Spirit in me. It's Jesus who's done it for me. There's nothing special about me. Trust me, I got weaknesses and flaws and failures just like everybody else, but... But, man, God has empowered me to live something different. We don't have to give in to the way the world around us lives. We don't have to give in to the conversations of the world. We don't have to give in to, to using social media the way the, social, the world uses social media, right? We can use whatever example here. We don't have to do it the way that they do. In fact, we shouldn't. But we got a Holy Spirit who is enabling us to do 
something different. Verse 5. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. These pagans, these people who are living these ungodly lives, this drunkenness, these orgies, these, all these things that he just talked about a couple of verses ago. He says, a day's coming when they're going to stand before God. And they're going to have to give an account. And he doesn't explicitly say it, but the reality is, so will we. We're going to stand before Jesus and answer for the way that we lived. That's not something we're supposed to dread and be in fear of because God's grace has covered our sins. And we do have an answer. That answer is Jesus. But I'd like that list to be as short as possible. I'd like to be able to say, I honored you a whole lot more than I didn't. I chose the right thing more than I chose the wrong thing. Because your Holy Spirit in me, I was able to miss out on a whole lot of earthly suffering for doing evil that I otherwise would have participated in. Verse 6, final verse today. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. In other words, that they had a chance to hear as well. So that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. We're called to live his way because of the spirit inside of us, because of the Holy Spirit We're empowered to live holy lives. Bottom line, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Last thing I'll have you write down today. The bottom line of this passage that we just read through these last few verses. If godly relationships depend on grace in times of calm, how much more do they depend on grace in times of chaos? In other words, Peter's writing them before before things get really bad. Before they get really dark, he's warning them. And he's saying, look, the flesh is already pulling you towards returning evil for good, or for, you know, returning evil with, for evil. But God's calling you to grace. God's calling you to something greater. And now that the temperature's about to turn up, if things are about to get worse in our country, as I believe, how much more important will it be then for us to lean on grace? For us to live in a different way. For us to show the world a different option as the world gets more and more hopeless. As sin becomes more and more abundant. As as the culture chooses things that are contrary to God's will more and more. The world is going to need us. They're going to need hope. They're going to need to see something different. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone for the hope that you have. There's a lot embedded in that. You're supposed to have hope. Your life's supposed to reflect hope. It's supposed to be evident to the point that people are asking us questions. Here's the good news. We don't do that on our own. That's just simply the Holy Spirit in us, drawing people and attracting us. That's allowing him to live. That's the fruit of the Spirit, right? What is The fruit of the Spirit is not I need to go get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is that as I get closer to the Holy Spirit, I start producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That stuff is fruit, right? The, the apple tree doesn't decide I need to make more apples. The apple tree just grows, and as it grows, more apples start appearing there. Why? Because that's fruit. That's the way fruit works. Fruit grows on a healthy plant, and as we get healthy, as we get planted with the Holy Spirit, as we connect with him, he's going to just start generating this stuff in our life. We're going to be able to return evil with good. I'm blessed. 
when I bless because I'm blessed. Right? There's more blessing that comes into my life when I choose. God, you've already blessed me, so I'm going to be a blessing. 